0: Welcome to Kashvis on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer, and I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashvis Magazine. And uh, do we have a lot of a lot catching up to do over here, when we went away for a few weeks because of Yom Tov. I hope everybody enjoyed a good Yom Tov. There's so much that happened in the Yom Tovim, first of all, I'm going to share information with you that, you know, this, the topics of the day very shortly, but... One thing I want to start with, which is uh, something that's always sitting on my head, I want to share with you. We've spoken about it maybe once or twice, but it, it, it bears repeating. And uh, especially after Yom Kippur, after, you know, the, the, we're coming back after Sukkot and Yom Kippur. Everybody's trying to do the best this year, even better than last year. It's good to start with things that are easy to do, and maybe you'll keep them up. Well, let me share with you one thing that we all have to really take into account, and it it comes up all the time. For me, it's like uh, it's every day. I try to learn uh, the Sefer Chavetz Chaim, from the Chavetz Chaim, Israel Meir Kagan, try to learn it on a regular basis. And in my business, if it's a business where we try to give information and help people make decisions about Kashrus. It it comes up daily. Uh, Somebody asks me, calls me up, this this restaurant that opened in, in, where I work in Manhattan. Is acceptable hashkocha? I don't really know this place very well. And uh, it's not one of the big hashkochas that I'm used to or, or where, I co- where I live, the hashkochas that we use there. What do you say? And I have to answer them. So uh, now, when I answer a person like that, first of all, when they're calling, they are calling, for, we call for toelis. I mean, uh, unless, unless they're trying to trap me, they, they're calling for Toelis. And, and Toelis means that they're, that there's a reason why they need it, the information. And, and the halakha p- clearly says, how Chaim brings it down many times, that if you need the information for current or for future, not just to do a story or a history, uh, not to line up everybody in the whole world, but to, you'll need this information. Yes, you're allowed to tell that person, what might even be considered negative or in other cases it would be called Lashon Hara but they're allowed to ask just like if they're asking about a Shidduch and you have to share information that sometimes is negative Uh, it has to be done because otherwise they're going to enter into a relationship not knowing things and and you've you've helped them stumble in now it's a beautiful thing to get everybody married and it's a beautiful thing to make shalom in this world but um, stay married is more important than getting married and uh, shalom is not something you're going to get when you, you fake everything out and you fool the other person. So the halach is clearly that you have to tell it like it is when the information is needed. But it has to be information is needed. And it has a lot of things that the Chavetz Chaim requires when you're telling over something that, it, it, that apparently is a Lashon hora. Uh It's the way you say it, it's what you say, not to add anything. Not to be, uh, you tried other methods, or you know, there's just no other way to get this information across, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you shouldn't go over the top. Oh, he's no good. Oh, if he if he gave hashgachah on water, I wouldn't drink it. You know, stay away from the ten foot pole. That kind of information is is really not appropriate because many people, even the worst hashgachas that we think of as the worst hashgachas are probably acceptable in a certain number of cases. So, a lot of times, the answer is, what are you looking for? What are you going to buying? Where are you going? Tell me a little about it. And then, I, at least, I know whether it's something that needs a proper hashgacha, or maybe it, it's just like water and doesn't really need hashgacha. I'd have to know if it's one that we call group one products. So, that's that's how we approach it in general. Now, to tell the person... Oh, he's no good. He, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't meet the, uh, the standards of, of, of Kashrus in America. He, you know, this is not for you. This is no good. Uh, you have to be very careful. I could say, and this is what I do say whenever it's a negative, I say, it's not for you. Now, in many cases, I don't know who the person is on the phone. <laughs> I don't know if their they're, they're name. I don't know where they live. I don't know how from they are. I don't know anything about them. I assume they're Jewish. Um, I don't know if if they're Shomish Shabbos I have nothing, I have no knowledge and in some cases it's very very hard because uh, if it's not a very sensitive issue I might recommend that that product to them but if I do recommend that product to them what's going to happen the next time they're going to say oh Rabbi Wicklow said this rabbi is fine I called him once about something else he said fine so you got to be careful both ways Uh, how they get it out of me I can't tell you but I try very often to say it's not for you and the reason I do that <laughs> especially when I don't know the person is just to make it that I didn't ever say that this person is no good I didn't make a statement about the person about the rabbi about the hashgacha. I made a a statement about you because you should not use this now the assumption is and many people uh, everybody thinks good of themselves so the assumption is oh. On my level, it's not appropriate. So now, this is also done, and this is why I, my main intent, is to um, disinterest the person from telling anybody else. Now, I spoke with, recently with a brother whom um, I confer with on, on many issues, who also teaches his cheyf of to many people, and, and uh, I asked him what to do. He said, what I'm doing is the right thing. It's not my business whether somebody else goes and tells Lush and about this person to somebody else. In other words, if you want to you be doing your own Rosh and Haring, that's your problem. But I have a responsibility to you to answer your question. I don't have a responsibility to give you a whole ed- course education in the Sefer Chavetz Chaim. But I do advise everybody to read it. It's available in English, available in Hebrew, other language today, I'm sure. And uh, it's, it really is something that everyone has to work on a little bit. How do you give over with avoiding Lush and Hora disinformation. But since it's for, t- for Toelis and the person is either told directly that uh, you can't tell other people, you can't believe what I'm saying, you, you should just be hoisted for just suspect maybe I'm telling you the, the right answer. and in, But uh, that may be enough. Or in, in my case, I'm saying, I, I said it's for you. Not for you, I'm sorry, it's not for you. So then I didn't really... Uh, Give a negative statement about the rabbi of the organization, and very possibly um, you, you can't then easily turn around and say, "Well, it's not for you either." If it's somebody to somebody else, how do you know who that person is and, and what I thought about you? Therefore, that's what I do it for. Anyway, this is an area to work on. Now we can start our program tonight. Went on the last couple of days, amazing stuff, amazing things happening. I'm going to share with you something about uh, kosher in America. New products that are coming out. Something about Belgium. Something about Israel. Uh, something about a few things about Israel. And a very interesting story. I'm going to start with the other interesting story. This came to me. Uh, somebody called up. They want to know about a certain organization. So I I said to them. Uh, the rabbi died a few months ago. I said, okay, but I want to know the organization. I said, well, the rabbi died a few months ago, and I tried to reach them, and the telephone is disconnected. There's a telephone for the cashless agency that's disconnected. The telephone for the rabbi is disconnected. Uh, I don't have, his website isn't up. I have no way of reaching this family. I've tried, I don't have any way of reaching the family to find if they put somebody else up. And I really don't, Think that you should be using anything with his name on it because he's not here. Which is the simplest question, the simplest thing in the world. But they said, but, but this sign is up in the store. And when I called the store, this is what this person told me. When I called the store, they told me it's under this rabbi. I said, well, you know, it, it may have been under the rabbi, but it certainly isn't anymore because it's not here. So I went into a little further. And it came up, and this I, I i hope this is not happening everywhere in the world, but this is the scariest thing in the world. Now, this person had a mishpacha, and um, he had friends, he had hundreds of friends, and he had definitely a, a, a mishpacha. I'm surprised that they weren't able to track down all the hushkachas and do something with it, either to get somebody to work and keep their name, uh be, Sell the na- sell the to somebody else, give them permission to take it and work with that with the stores, or you know something, but make sure that they took down the names and the, the the signs and everything. So we tried to get to the uh, manager. It was too busy, but the woman I told her uh, the state is going to call you. New York State is going to call you. This is in New York State. New York State is going to call you. This is Brooklyn. Brooklyn and 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 uh, Brooklyn and Queens. Uh, I said, New York State is going to call you. And I sent out email to New York State Kosher Law Enforcement and to a few other people who are, who are critical and uh, would have information about this hashkocha, if it still exists, uh, if it's if somebody else is manning it, uh, they might uh, take the thing a little further. So we, we sent out an email to a few people. I just want to share with you, this particular store that I was talking to, the store... Ha, is a bakery and has five branches. It's not a tiny nothing. The gentleman that we were talking about, his hashkochas were very often on bakeries. Restaurants, bakeries, but a lot of bakeries. And those bakeries produce products that are sold everywhere. It's, they're not tiny nothings. In this particular case, it was five stores. Uh, don't know where it's going? I have no idea. It's not the first time I ran into this. But what's interesting to me is the other person recently that it happened to, he passed away, and he had never been married. He had no children, no wife, no parents, nothing. He was just died, and however, he got buried and taken care of. I don't know. I'm sure he had friends. I mean, he had me as a friend, but I, mean, I didn't hear anything about the Levaya, so I have no idea. I was only informed after he had been buried, and, and after shiva and after everything, I was misinformed. So I don't know how um, anything was taken care of with him. But then I started to investigate about that particular hashkoch, because he had some interesting hashkochas that are natural, n- national and that uh, people really would want. And, and people started calling me up from hashkochas. Who took over for him? Uh, is it possible to take his hashkochas and, and being utilized? So it was very, very interesting information that, 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 that transpired then. Finally, I got through with the family, and, f- and the family didn't want to answer me right away. So I, uh, I, you know, it seemed to be that there was some interesting discussions in the family about it. Finally, one man who had worked for this other fellow, had been an assistant of his or just taken over for a few uh, few of his uh, places when he needed it. So he took over the Hoshkacha. But I think it, the money went to the family or... Well, I don't know the details but whatever it is the family somehow continued that operation through this gentleman who does have the Ashgachim. but I always thought that that they will find out right away I'll let me tell you a story back in the early days of Kashmir's magazine those days it was not called Kashmir's magazine it was called Kashmir's newsletter one of the most amazing things happened I got a call from somebody who said Uh, Who I knew. I knew he's from a very famous family. And he gives hashkochos. But he's famous. I mean, the family family is famous. And he also is Everybody knows about him. His brother gave hashkochos. But his brother was mentally incapacitated. I suppose he had problems going back a ways. But at this particular time, He was mentally incapacitated. I don't know if he was uh, sitting in his house all day and and people were watching him and it was an institution or it was just that he was not capable anymore. I don't know exactly what it was. But they contacted me, the family, and told me that they would like me to announce that all of these establishments, and they gave me a list. I think it was 12 or 14 different that he had, that he's no longer responsible for them. That's what we, the terms that we used. He's no longer responsible for these kashgachos. And it was like it says 12 or 14. It didn't take a day to after this announcement of mine went out, because I'm the only one who gave it out. And somebody called me up and he said, uh, is it true that the, uh, the uh, that he doesn't have a uh, he's, not, he's no longer compa- he's incapacitated? No, yes, yes, yes. Will no, anybody take it over? I don't know. Not a whole week later, every one of those uh, hashgachos that this rabbi and his family dropped was taken over by one individual. It was days, just maybe two days, he had them all wrapped up. He couldn't have visited them in that time, unless he, he visits in the middle of the night and he doesn't sleep. He could not have visited all these establishments in the time. So it obviously was over the phone. And he got the uh, assignment of all those hashkachos. But that, that, that convinced me that this gentleman who took it over is not the top hashkach in the world. <laughs> that was what I, I learned about from that experience. But I but always saw that people take things over right away. Now this rabbi passed away a number of months ago was famous. And, and, and I, I'm surprised that nobody took every, over everyone in Zashkachos, or that the family didn't move in and you know, get, uh, get things solidified for them. Whatever it was, it's very, very strange. And now you have to read those uh, announcements, unfortunately, who's not with us anymore make sure that uh, it's not, the sign is not still hanging in, in a certain establishment. There's so many times things are hanging and nobody and, and the, the person doesn't give us at all. Here, he did give hashgach, I assume, and it's always oh, the interesting thing, I forgot to tell you. What's the interesting thing? The sign, the, uh, the letter of certification, the letter of certification goes until 2022, which means the sign is still giving hashkocha. His letter is still certifying the store. Say it, say it, say it. We go on. Ah. Uh, I got to tell you about this. This is one that's been bothering me. Like, days and days it's been bothering me. It's, it's, since I heard of it. I it's, it's only heard of it uh, three days ago. So it's, but it's been bothering me since Yom Tov. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how much it bothers me. It's a study that was done in Israel. A study. There's an organization called Israel Democracy Institute. I looked it up. I can't figure it out too well. I mean, maybe somebody listening to me will explain a little more to me what it's all about. I, I didn't catch it too well. But they do a lot of studies. The new study by the Israel Democracy Institute. What do they study? How many Hashkochas are on a product? For this, you've got to have a study. I <laughs> go to my store, I'll see. There's, you know, a zillion hush on the products. Some have one, some have two, some have three, some have four. I've seen with five. So far, I don't think I've seen six, but I would be would not be surprised to see ten someday on a product. And you'll ask me, how and why do you have that? Well, that, that's what we're gonna get to. So this is a new study in the Israel Democracy Institute of kosher certification industry in Israel to find out. And they discovered the vast majority of products sold in Israel are certified by multiple koshbas organizations. Now, the funny part of it is, there's nothing here about the study. I did not, I went onto the website, I didn't see the study yet. If I find the study, I will discuss it better, better with you in the future. If I find it, if you find it, let me know. But in any event, I didn't see it easily on their website. I wasn't sure how to look it up. I tried three, four different ways. It didn't work. Uh, you could put it in a search engine, but it didn't, seem to, it didn't seem to respond to anything that I was saying. Anyway, and they have a million studies, so if I'll hit the right way to say it, I'll get it. Anyway, it says here, the vast majority of so- products sold in the country have multiple conscious organ- uh, organizations on it. Before you start, you have to ask one question, And I don't see any hint of it in the article that I saw. The first question you have to ask is, are the vast majority of products that are sold in Israel produced in Israel? Are the vast majority of products sold in Israel produced in Israel? Well, there are certainly a lot of products produced in Israel. But there are a lot of products sold in Israel that come from other countries. And a lot of products that are sold in Israel that Israeli organizations own, that they're the distributors, but they're produced in other countries. So it might be a product that'll have a name of an Israeli company, but it's really a product of another country. And the reason it might have multiple hashkochas has nothing to do with Israel, and has everything to do with the country that it's made in. And the Jews over there. So the study by the, Israel Kassius, the Israeli Democracy Institute is really not properly um, uh, taking into account what percentage of products in Israel are Israeli products and what percentage of products sold in Israel are really produced for other markets in other countries and also sold in Israel. For example, in America, we have multiple hashgachas, and we have products that are produced by big organizations in America. That we have some Baruch Hashem, some beautiful organizations, beautiful kosher organizations, kosher companies, and um, and even the poor, even distributors. But we have many many people here, and you know, and of course, you know the biggest one, of course, is Ketan, and and uh, how many of those products go to Israel? Yeah. How many of the products produced here go to Israel? A lot of the big companies. They have an OU, an OK, not. have a lot. a lot of those companies, their products are being sold in Israel. And when they're sold in Israel, they have the OU, or, 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 or five Hoshkochos in America. I, I saw a, a, an orange juice from Davash that has five Hoshkochos. I couldn't even believe it. Five Hoshkochos? And I see a lot of products in Israel with five Hoshkochos, or four or five Hoshkochos, but this I, this was amazing to me. An orange juice, five ashkachas, and then that particular case I was looking into whether it was uh, how was kosher certified for pesach, who was responsible for pesach, and my investigation found out that only one of the kosher organizations certified it, it did the actual work for the kosher of pesach, which appeared on the on the bottle cap, and and it wasn't um, mentioned specifically within the others. The OU didn't certify for pesach, and this one didn't certify, but that wouldn't certify pesach. But it seems that one organization did a Hashgakh of a pace whatever whatever that means. And one other organization accepted it too also. But they didn't do it. They just accepted what the other organization did. So you had five hashkahs and one man taking responsibility for the pace of production issue. It wasn't unified. But usually, when products are multiple hashgachas, there's only one set of workers. There's one mashkiach. He may satisfy the needs of everybody there. Let's take, for example. I didn't even get the study. I got to. Hopefully, I'm going to finish the study because I have. I don't want to tell you how many more things I've said here. <laughs> but uh, the 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 study, uh, you know, that's trying to analyze why there is these different Hashkachas in Israel. So, so in uh, in 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 America, let's say for let's take a simple example: Empire chickens. So Empire Chickens is not one hashgacha. There are at least, I think, three or four right now. At, some times, at one time, there were maybe five, and for sure five, and, and, and uh, other companies like um, the old Rabashkin Meats had nine hashgachas, Nine separate hashgachas, was on Rabashkin. Yeah, and the reason was because there were different groups. This one, I mean, Lubavitch wanted Lubavitch Shrita, but Lubavitch Shrita was done at Rabashkin. But other people were doing it completely different, they it even different Shochitim. But usually, the rest of the staff was all the same. And sometimes with the Lubavitch Shochitim, non-Lubavitch Shochitim, it was just a question of some of these people were using, some of them were using these, but it's from the same group. It wasn't special much coming in from outside. Special shaykh them coming in from outside. Nobody came in from outside. It was utilizing people who were there in the in the in the working every day in the facility. So it's just a shuffling around of a of people, but we're not sending everybody home and, and taking a new staff in today. That's not. That's not the way it's done. It would be an upheaval in one of these places. It wouldn't work because you. The only way to make work as a as a is to go down all week long to work in the factory and sleep somewhere in, in a hotel or something the whole week and then go home to your family for Shabbos and come back on on Monday on Sunday morning, uh, real early, and that seems to be the way you come know, back home on Thursday. That's basically what a shoychid's life is. So. You, if you're going to only use him two or three days a week, so what through do the rest of the week. You can't keep running home back and forth. It's a, it's a half a day's trip. So this is not something that's, uh, that's reasonable. The only way it's reasonable to do hashkachas, I mean, to, do mash, to have a mashkiach and a, to have a, a shoychet and a boydek and all these people is to have them work all week. So they have to be in the plant working. So you may shuffle with their job a little bit, but you're not necessarily going to send them home packing. So the, the nine, nine hashgachas were utilizing the, the personnel in the plant. They may have another person or two sitting around for their, for their hashgacha, but not changing over the whole plant. And an empire, you have uh, an, at least four hashgachas there now. There was a fifth, they left. I'm not going to go into details in any of this, but that's the way it's done in America. And very often, like when you have a Hamish hashgacha and an OU, so the or the okay or so whatever it is. So the hamish hashgacha doesn't necessarily have a different mashkiach. The the hamish hashgacha might not change any ingredients, but they oversee what they need to oversee to satisfy them. So in some cases, they won't give hashgacha on that plant because they produce uh, animal and vegetable, which means non-kosher and kosher. Uh, so they might say, "We're not going to go to that plant. We won't accept." products from that plant. Even if you get a good meshkir, I wouldn't accept it from that plant because they have pipes that are running this way and that way and you can't be there in 24 hours a day and, uh, you, know, and, and you can't lock it up and own the keys. I mean, an establishment of millions of dollars, they're not going to give you the keys. So there may be a lot of um, a, a, a lot of uh, underst- misunderstanding that people have about what it means to have many hashkochas on a product. So if I'm not putting in a mashkiah and I'm not going to be uh, doing any major work here, I'm giving you my hashkacha, and I'm going to come down once a week, once a month, or whatever it is and inspect and get assured that you're following the recommendations that I'm making, then I can't charge you very much. Yeah, I can charge you $5,000 a year, $10,000 a year, big plant for my name. But I'm not really doing anything because there's so many of us here. There's nine of us here. They're not paying $100,000 to every hashgacha. They're just paying a little bit. So it isn't really as expensive as people think to have additional hashgachas. And what the gain is, well, if I can get the whole Lubavitch, Lubavitch is amazing. If I would have something to go to Lubavitch, it would be a zillionaire today. Because Why? There's this 5,000 uh, uh, shluchim across the world working for Lubavitch. And in those places where they work, more than 5,000 probably by right now, but they, where, where they're places that, that they work, they have influence over the whole community. You have one Lubavitch or Shliach in a town, he's going to make sure that they use Lubavitch or at all the affairs. Why? Because he has to eat. And there's no difference for them. Probably the same dollar. It's on the same plant. Probably the same dollar. So it doesn't seem to be, It's not a usually a very difficult thing to get meat from one place over another. Nobody ever balks about that. It seems to be quite acceptable. And this way, the Rabbi could eat. His family could eat. The people from his shul will eat. And then the whole neighborhood will buy this. So what's it? So that's how it works, and that's one of the reasons why Rabaskin became so successful at that time, because the Lubavitcher Shluchim were actually his best emissaries. In any event, having multiple Ashkochas doesn't mean a lot of extra dollars. But listen to this. This is the result. It was in the Times of Israel, September 30th, 2021. Therefore... And that's what the, all the article says, that they do the study. They found the majority of products have more than one Ashkocha. Therefore, how they arrived at that, therefore, I have no idea. Listen to what they said. Therefore, the IDI, that's, in, that's the Israeli Dem- Democracy Institute, says that there is no reason for the chief rabbinate's monopoly over kosher certifications in Israel. That's a Therefore? In other words, you really knew what you wanted to say all along and you're using this to support it. In other words, you don't want the Rabbanut there on Hashkachas and that's why you did your study and that's why you didn't do anything to decide, uh, you know, to control the study and that's why you concluded inaccurately that the products being sold in Israel have multiple ashkachas, therefore it's a lot of waste of money and therefore you have to get rid of the rabbinate and this way anybody could choose whoever they want to give the They'll only one shgachah on a product which is absolutely false because in America you have 5 hashgachas and in Israel on the on the and the things like that you have 4 or 5 hashgachas why do they have 4 or 5 hashgachas if you have to get if you got rid of the rabbinate you got rid of one but you still have three or four hashgachos. So how much did you really reduce the price? And you have to have a mashkiach. And in most places, it's the mashkiach from the Rabbanut that's giving the whole hashgach. The, the, the other hashgachos are not putting in personnel because nobody ever requires double and triple and quadruple uh, personnel. They only require one person working in a particular department, or one mashkiach. You don't have a mashkiach and the mashkiach and the mashkiach. It doesn't work that way. There was enough room in the plants for that. Nobody ever did such a thing like that. So what it is is hype. And they're saying that there's no reason for the chief rabbi to monopoly, which is a nice word, right? Not monopoly, well, because as a game, it may be a nice game, but to use the monopoly, it's a very strong word, over coach certification in Israel, since most products are already certified by private agencies. So their theory is that since you're going to go to a private agency anyway, so cut out the rabbi, and then everything will be fine, and you'll save money. According to the study, a whopping 88% of products sold in Israeli supermarkets have more than one Kasha certification. You see, again and again, there was no mention that a very high percentage of products that are being sold in Israel were produced in other countries. They were imported products that are being produced in the other country for the other countries. Uh, Jewish population, and also sold to Israel. Just as the shchit is being done in many, many countries, you know about this, and they're being sent to Israel. So, so the products that are made, you see constantly from Europe, and England, from France, the products are coming over to Israel. The, the cornflakes in Israel is not made in the United States, it's made in, in, made in, uh, in uh, England. The, the, there are so many products that are imported, so if there's multiple hashgachas, the Rabbanoid is not on that product, May may allow uh, but Doctor am not giving Ashkacha. and and uh, the, uh, the so, so what is so what is really uh, uh, what does it mean when you see the different names on it? It means that that people like more than one Ashkocha because they, they feel at home with this Ashkocha. They're not so sure about that one. I had a woman on the phone t- yesterday or two days ago, whatever it was, and she's saying to me about how she only uses this one, na- these two national Ashkochas. There are five big national Shkakos, and he only uses two of them. I said, what about the other three? She thinks this is the best. How she arrived at it, I have no idea. And, and to me, I look at it, and I say that there's like a national standard, and then there's, an, and there's this, uh, a, 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 a Hamish's standard, if there's such a thing exists. And there's, you know, this quality. But that, it's a, that to, to choose, you know, I'll accept only, let's say, I don't want to mention the names, but one of the five, and I won't use any of the other five, it's sort of funny. Because they're all using each other's products. And, there is, and each one has kulis and chomis. And, and, and then you can't say that one is really the best and the other is inferior. But this is what people do. So they want what they want. So they're going to pay. If it has four or five ish they recognize one of them, they'll take it. So that's why it's working. Anyway, this is, the, <laughs> this is another interesting line here. I'll catch for you here. Food production companies apply for rabbinic certification on top of others that they want. So in other words, they're saying they're going to go to the Rabbanot in addition to the one that they want. But why in the world would, one, would somebody want one of those Hashgachos? Oh, the, the Badats of the Yedah HaVedas, we understand, they're a very, very strict group. They're probably the best in the country of Israel, or one of the best. And uh, rabbanut, uh, I'm sorry, the, the uh, uh, Rabbi Ruben Rehovot, one of the tops in the, in the country and in the world. So he, I, I can understand why they would want that one. But when you're talking about Rabbi so and so from this city or some of these other people, they're not worth anything. And even if they're doing a good job, they're not better than the rabbanut. The rabbanut is is today a strong lashgocha. It's not uh, what I would recommend to all of our Americans to use. I would say you've got to be careful. I would tell you look at Mahadran from from the Rabbanut. I would tell you be careful because because in Israel the Rabbanut has tries to include the entire population with, they would eat from their foods. So they in order to get that they have to have a lot of different products and accept a lot of products from other countries, and they have a very wide list of products that they accept and therefore the standard is a little lower than uh, a, a Hamish standard for sure. So uh, you can't say that the rabbinate is uh, is the, the tops in the world, the rabbinate in Israel, are the tops in the world, but you can say that they're giving a decent hashgacha, especially with their Mahadran. So, no, they're not running to, they're just taking, the, taking rabbinut because they have to. They're taking rabbinut. There are a lot of products that are sold in Israel that only have... The rabbanut, they say twelve percent. Well, look at the stores. A lot of the stores, the, Rabban, the, the, the the bakeries in the towns and the restaurants in the towns and the caterers do not have five hashgachos. Usually, they have one, and very often it's just the rabbanut. And yet, you could check this out. So, the thing about the twelve percent of the products sold, you know, I, I don't think that's accurate either. But listen to the next line. This is beautiful. Therefore. The think tank suggests, in other words, they are the think tank. They are the brains behind everything in Israel. Therefore, the think tank suggests the existing situation leads to unnecessary duplication of cashless certifications and to excess costs to both the suppliers and the consumers. I cannot tell you how interesting it was that today, I took off a few minutes and and I saw something which came from Kosharot, Kosha wrote, is a uh, I would I would call let's say modern Orthodox or you know uh, not not the Haredi branch. They're very nice people, by Rabbi Katz. It's 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 one of the best things that Israel has, and it's 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 a solid, you know, moderate um, uh, group in Israel that that looks into Koshus and reports to the people, and they had a very interesting little little video. It takes about a minute and a half to see it, two minutes, <laughs> and it's all about one thing: how when the reforms go in, if they go in, that Matan Kahana wants the minister, uh, the religious services minister, Matan Kahana wants to make, and he wants to get rid of the Rabbanutz hashgacha, and he wants to, you know, let anybody in the in the country give hashgacha, and the Rabbanut should sort of um, do some kind of a supervisory job, not not get involved in really giving hashgacha. He wants to strip the Rabbanut of their, their power. If he gets in, this Kakosha road says, the prices are gonna jump. And they have a very cute video. It shows how the man goes into this restaurant and he asks for the tafriti, he asks for the menu, and they show it to him. And it shows that the, that the prices are increased 10, 20%. And he says, why? He says, because of the reforms. And then he, then he goes on, and then he goes another one. So he wants to go to a, a hotel. And they're up uh, to twenty-five percent, or twenty percent in their price. And he says the reforms. Everything, it seems. In other words, what they're claiming is going to happen if the rabbanut, if, if they get, if they get rid of the rabbanut, the prices are going to go down. What somebody who is an independent risk organization, not tied to the rabbanut and not a Haredi group, they are saying unquestionably the prices are going to go up when the when these reforms get in. So. There you go. I think, I think the, uh, we have to pray that, that, that it doesn't go through. I want to take you to... This is an exciting story, so I'll do this one first. I have another few. It's an area that I've been involved in for years and years, and you've heard it from me. I'll just tell you what you know the kind of thing that I'm talking about, and then we'll go into the specifics. I always talk about how the Karas agencies have to think, especially the national hashgachos, have to think about letting their name be used when it when it, it reflects poorly on them or on Kashrus. for example, we were talking about alternate lifestyles a way back, and we were saying that uh, products are putting the na- putting a symbol of alternate lifestyles on their packaging and together with the national hash- with these hashgachos on the on the label. And sometimes in the websites they're pushing the alternate lifestyles, and they have clearly demonstrating that's under so and so organization. The is under the hash- the hash- is under the Ashkache, and sometimes they put up uh, uh, they put up non-Jewish symbols. Let's say uh, you know uh, Buddhist symbols they have on the, together with the with the national Ashkaches in in the United States, and uh, and I saw once a cross together with the National Shkuch of the United States. And I keep reporting this to the Kashchus organization. I keep coming back to them and saying, you know, maybe it's time to get your name off this. You don't really belong on this. This is not, not doing us any good. And I, I keep sending these emails out, and very often the people, they'll respond, and they'll, they'll send me a little email back, or they'll, or they'll call me, and they'll, you know, they'll make their comment. But they never move on it. They never move on it. It's, it's amazing. While in Israel, back uh, 20 years ago, I uh, so maybe it's a little more already. I went to I, I was there and when uh, the badatz of the HaRedis had removed their name, the hashkocha, from Pepsi. It's a big a big operation in Israel. Big operation and. They, they do give Ashkach, and they actually come to America to see the production of the Pepsi uh, uh, syrup. And the only used syrup they use is that which was produced under their certification when they came to the United States and went uh, down uh, to wherever they were producing it, uh, Pepsi. So the, uh, they were giving on Pepsi. And they removed for Pepsi because there was, a, uh, there, was a, uh, there was a concert from a, a gentleman... Uh, who lives an alternate lifestyle and was known for his uh, I- interesting uh, uh, life. And so he, they removed, they, and it's also a rock star and everything, so they removed their name from the, the from Pepsi that we're not given on the uh, I saw them take their name off for dinosaurs, because they don't believe, they think dinosaurs is, is preaching Apicorsis. Uh, uh, so they, they were very strict. Over the years, very, very, very strict. And uh, many Hashgachas, you know, have made a stand. They they don't allow mixed dancing in some places, or they give Hashgacha restaurants or or caterers. And there were different places where they took a stand. But in general, they don't. And I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to read straight off the papers, about five papers, but I'm going to read some pieces of it to you, because this is an important juncture in our time. You remember when... A couple of years ago, company came out with, impos- the, the, you know, the, 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 um, the, the, the people started producing uh, the Impossible Burger, the Impossible, what is it called? What is it called? The Impossible uh, Meat with Beef, whatever it was it called. I forgot the name of it. Now, um, what's the original name? It's Impossible. Oh, you all know what it is. But anyway, we'll come across it probably. So they now are making a new product, which is um, impossible pork? They used to sell the impossible burger or something. Now they call it impossible pork. It's a segment. It's a separate product of theirs. The original one, Impossible Foods, that makes this uh, product, and they wanted to have the OU because they have the OU on the other one, the Impossible Burger. They have the uh, it's this fake meat. It's really gr- all grown in in the in the um, and it's all things that are plant-based. Uh, and, of course, people thought there was real blood in there because they put heme in, but they produced the heme from, uh, from animal sources, which can do it. And, it. and that heme makes it taste like, look like and taste like it has blood in it, which people wanted. Now they came up with the Impossible, impossible Pork. I think it was cool. And this Impossible Burger is not meat, and the, the pork is not meat, it's not pork, but it's going to be called impossible pork, and it's going to taste like pork. I assume it looks like pork. I don't know what pork looks like, but <laughs> I'm sure it's going to look like it and taste like it. Otherwise, they won't make, sell it. <laughs> so, and, this is, and they wanted to get the hashgolach from the OU, and the OU said, no. Very strong statement, but you've got to read the whole thing. So I'm going to read it to you. The OU held back the certification for reasons other than the food preparation before. In 2013, the OU has made a stand that they told the, the restaurant, which was really under them, called Jezebel, which is, you know, Izebel, which is the, the uh, a, a terrible queen, uh, what, what disfamed on, on Jewish people, and the, the, the restaurant was called Jezebel, which is like a very uh, in-your-face kind of name, Saying, like, you know, we don't care, or, you know, Yiddish is nothing. That, that's the feeling that people were getting. So the OU finally told the restaurant they have to change their name. Now, they sometimes they take other things, like, for example, in this case over here, they this, sometimes they have a fish sauce, they let it, which displays a picture of a non kosher fish. They might allow that. And they might allow, Um, uh, the OU could appear on artificial crab or pork but they never said uh, the word pork there may be a recipe for a non-kosher food item on the label this is things that the OU lets happen it even certifies products that replicate pork like make believe that they're pork the Trader Joe's makes spicy porkless plant based snack rinds so it's porkless and there's a number of products that are called pork-less. It means not pork. But it's supposed to be tasting like pork and looking like pork, and the OU certifies it. But the ultimate thing of pork, well, the OU give hashgacha on pork, which is, main, which is from a pig. So this, this is where the OU took a stand. No, we won't. And I'm, this is what Rabbi, um, Rabbi, um, uh, Rabbi Menachem Ganak said. We, of course, discussed it with the company and they understood that they're going to make the product and they're going to call it pork. They wouldn't change the name, but we're not going to certify it. Now, that means that Impossible, impossible Pork won't, won't appear in any kosher restaurant and probably won't even make it into those so-called uh, vegan Asian restaurants and the, and the kosher-style restaurants. It probably won't get in there. Um, so that, that is very interesting. It also means that people, uh, you know, have to make a decision what they're going to do. So now, there are two people quoted here. I will not give you their names. I'm reading from an article that appeared in the Jerusalem Post, obviously in the last few days. There's a certain rabbi, I'm not going to tell you his name. I don't know if he's, I assume he's not Orthodox, but I certainly hope not. But, But he said like this, I don't think the OU labeling on it has a huge impact on me. He's the director of Jewish education at a certain camp, and, he's, and the university of certain place, he's the, he's the Hillel director. He describes himself as an, a huge impossible fan. I mean, he's a, he's a big fan of the Impossible Burger. So, you know, so that Impossible comp- the Company, the Impossible Company here, he's, he's a big fan of theirs. But he said he was concerned about Maris Ayan, of course they call it Maritayin, but it calls it Maritayin he was worried about, that somebody would see him eating it and they would think he's eating pork. That he's worried about. Maritayin is the Rabbanin, And in a case like this, it's very questionable if it would really be Maritayin because nobody really knows what these things are. You know, they have, uh, a, I mean, I understand if it looks like a piece of meat and, and if you have cheese and, and meat, and so that's, but that's a, they know that's a cheeseburger. But if you have fake cheese and fake meat, so it's a nothing. It's parva. But, but on the other hand, it looks bad. So I understand the Marisai. But Marisai is only the Rabbanin. But listen to the rest of it. This is a rabbi, head of a, a, a Hillel and a university. Not a small university, by the way and the and head of the Jewish education at a certain camp, I'm not going to mention the name, he said, he's concerned about Maris Ayan, but, you know, he, but I say, what about Kashrus? He said, the word pork um, is, is definitely a gross aversion to me, but knowing it's not pork, I, got the next page here, I will try it. He will eat this burger I mean, he will eat this, he will eat this uh, pork. Um, the only thing he doesn't mention is there's no hashkocha on it. There's no hashkocha at all. And not only there's no hashkocha at all, but there's a lot of ingredients. It's plant-based, but you need hashkocha on every ingredient in there. The OU would give Hashkacha if it was from the right source, if, there was, if, the, if the individual ingredients came in with Ashkocha, but they're not going to give it on something that has no Ashkocha on any of the ingredients. But the rabbi of the Hillel and the rabbi of this camp, he will eat it even though it has no Ashkocha on it. He's only worried about Marit ayin, but he's not worried about Kashrus. Here's another one. I'm not telling her her name. She's an attorney in Baltimore, said says uh, she's not sure she's going to eat it. She keeps kosher, but only for the ingredients, not any Hashkocha. She buys products, looks at the label, and decides they're kosher. And this is what Jerusalem Post is quoting about the, the man in the street's opinion. I say, these are not kosher people. <laughs> I don't know what in the world's going on here, but these are not kosher people you're consulting. These are people that, that, that feel kosher. They, they look at a package and they feel it's kosher. Now, Rabbi Ganak said, uh, it could have gone either way, frankly. This is something which we absolutely would be willing to review in the future the OU will be really willing to review in the future whether they'll certify impossible pork. I got more quotes, and I'm going to give some of them to you. And but before that, let me give you um, a reaction from a man in the street. He calls himself born in the USA. So was I. The OU needs to stick to the science, the facts, and the reality rather than catering to politics or woke sensibilities. Impossible pork is, in fact, kosher and should be certified as such. Anything less diminishes their credibility and authority. In other words, the OU is no good because it really is a kosher product. That's what a lot of people feel. They, their kosher is in their mind. They look at a package and they can tell. They, are, uh, they can see right through the package and they can tell that the product is kosher. Uh, but I'm going to give a little more quotes from Rabbi Ganak. The impossible pork, we didn't give an OU to it, not because it wasn't kosher per se. It may indeed be completely in terms of its ingredients. It is completely plant-derived. It it, it's, it's kosher, meaning that the ingredients that are used are kosher ingredients. doesn't mean it is kosher. Just in terms of sensitivities to the consumer, it didn't get it. That's why it didn't get the OU. The impossible burger itself is a huge, huge success, and people really, really like it. That's Rabbi It's a really excellent, excellent product in every respect. But Rabbi Ganak said, when the OU once certified bacon, quote, unquote, bacon, as kosher, they were bombarded with negative feedback. We still get deluge from calls from consumers who either don't get it or they're uncomfortable with it. Ganak clarified that although the OU certifies it, uh, certify items related to pork, as Trader Joe's spicy porkless plant-based snack rinds. The agency decided that certifying a product called pork was a red line and they aren't willing to cross it right now. Obviously, but they leave it open for the future. I certainly hope that they don't cross it in the future. We, of course, discussed it with the company and they understood he said, they may reconsider their decision to refrain from doing it in the future. It could have gone either way. Yeah, this is something which we're we'll yeah, going to review in the future. So that's uh, the end of that story. I don't have too much more time. i got only a couple minutes. And so I'm going to just share with you one more thing, maybe two. I don't know. We'll see yet. Ben and Jerry's. Thank God... Uh, New Jersey is making a stand on this. Texas is making a stand on it. Maybe I'll just finish off this last item here together with you today as well. It'll only take a couple of minutes. Belgium. You've heard about it for years already now, but Belgium has finally, you know, put the last (laughs) nail in the coffin, so to speak, by saying that the European Court of Justice made its determination after Belgium's Constitutional Court referred a lawsuit filed by the Belgian Federation of Jewish Organizations to determine whether the bans were lawful. The bans against kosher certification, as kosher, I mean kosher slaughter, in Belgium, and they said, "Yeah, it's it's legal." So, as far as we're concerned, Belgium has like made the stand against kosher which, of course, is going to turn a lot of people away, and even though there's a major Jewish community in Belgium. It's based, this has been going on since Nazi Germany. In 1933, April 1933, Nazi propaganda films routinely depicted Shechita as the barbaric practice of an alien people. That's right, we're aliens. And despite the fact that there's so many Jews living in Belgium, we can't get kosher. We can't get schritte in that country at the present time. Um, not going to go into the whole thing here, but it's, the quotes are very, very strong. I think the, the best would be here, uh, would be maybe World Jewish Congress. President is Ronald Lauder. He issued a statement in reaction to the appellate's decision. Today's ruling is a continued maneuver to discriminate against Belgium's Jewish and Muslim citizens. By prohibiting religious slaughter without stunning, the Court of Justice of the European Union has placed a potentially terminal obstacle to continued Jewish communal life in Europe. I hope you got that phrase a potentially terminal obstacle to continued Jewish communal life in Europe. In other words, if this goes on, it's going to be very hard for Jews to live in Europe. Now, why Europe? It's only one country, because they're joining other countries that are growing more and more and more countries are banning Shechita. And slowly but surely, and constant challenges, even in England, constant challenges, But we still have a strong presence there, and thank God it's been going well, and there have been good people working on it. However, that's the words, potentially terminal obstacle to continued Jewish communal life in Europe. It's not not a matter of animal welfare, but the suppression of religious freedom and liberty that is guaranteed in Article 10.1 of the EU's Charter of Fundamental Rights. This is from this Ronald Lauder from the World Jewish Congress. As anti-Semitism continues to surge in Europe and around the world, we cannot let instances of religious persecution like this go unchallenged. The European Union must reverse this ill-advised decision so that Jews and other minority religions can practice their beliefs without restrictions. Well, he said it like it is, and we have to hope and pray that Hashem will send a Yeshua for those people because, as, as much as we're enjoying our yumpt of meals and so many different types of foods and meats and the chicken and, and uh, other fowl and other, you know, other, a lot of kinds of meats we had, they're not able to do this and they're, having, they're struggling. And it costs a lot of money if they find a way of getting it in. So, we're talking about a major challenge to Jewish life in Europe, aside from the antisemitism that goes on. And this is probably also anti-Semitism. So there's a lot to daven for, and Mar uh, Hashem, you know, it's a new year, and as, as Rabbi Miller says, we already got more than 20 days into the new year, we got uh, almost 30 days into the new year, so we have to be very thankful for each one of them. And uh, I wish you a wonderful week. This has been your host, Rabbi Josef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. If for any reason you want to reach us, our telephone number, 718-336-8544. Or you can email us at Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com. I must tell you that our website has not been functioning for a long time and we didn't even update it. Although we have an ad that ran on there. Um, you can now go to the website. It's up and that it is secure. We just had it completely secured, and it's effective now. You can go with it there. You can order anything you want and communicate with us. It's kashrusmagazine.com, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, magazine.com, or you can reach us at, at kashrus at AOL.com or 718-336-8544. Have a wonderful week.